relationships and education are everything from what I've seen. And I've sat everywhere at that table, right? From being a teacher and administrator. And even now, like as a parent, like I see that, um, I don't think it matters where you sit, you know, in the, in the education sphere. Um, but whether it's, you know, students with teachers or teachers with parents or teachers with administrators or development teams, right? With potential donors, like all of that stems on having solid relationships. And I think um, when it comes to like educating our youth, it it really does take a village. Like, I don't think anyone can operate in a, in a, in a vacuum. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or... Is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or a 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. You guys, I am back with my first episode of 2023. And a couple things that I need to address is I'm realizing that somebody that supports and advocates diversity and inclusion, um, that saying you guys is not an inclusive introduction. So I will work on um, improving that moving forward. So this will be the last time I use that as an intro, but know that I recognize that it's not inclusive and it's something that I definitely need to change and I will moving forward. The second thing to address is that this guest actually recorded with me way back in December and I was my mission and goal to get this out before the end of the year, but our, our Moved to Columbia, made that a little bit more difficult, but we've been here for a month now. We're a little bit more settled, so I've got the time and the focus to get back into the podcast, and I love that Katrina Austria Marrero is going to be that first guest to kick off 2023. Now, Katrina is awesome in so many different ways. She's somebody that I knew back from my days in Austin, Texas, and I met her husband first, but then when I met her and I was like, oh, bro, good choice. (laughs) She's just one of those people that is a quiet leader and she leads with passion and confidence and she's somebody that knows her stuff and she doesn't have to gesticulate and be loud and and do all of this to get attention. She gets attention because she comes off as an SME. She knows exactly what she's talking about and you get that from being around her for five seconds. And although I knew her from back in the day, 
we she does such a good job of making sure that whoever she's talking to is cared for that I never really got to learn a lot about her. So this was a great opportunity for me to kind of dig deep about her and how she became who she is. I had no idea that she's first generation, at least a first generation college student in the States in her family and that her mother and grandparents were immigrants from the Philippines. And so having all of that inform her, her career is really, really interesting to me. So in addition to being just this talented educator, having a career in a bunch of different spaces, she and her husband have also started a business where they support student athletes, not only while they're athletes, but also what happens after becoming an athlete. And I guess if you're not somebody into sports, you can kind of like liken it to child actors who whose lives go off the rail after they're done being actors or after the world of acting is done with them. I assume it's the same with, with athletes. And so her and her husband and their business has a, this really holistic approach to how do we address the student um, professionally, personally, and all of that. And I thought that was great. And so not only is she started a new job where she's getting to implement her values in diversity and equity, but she has this business with her husband and she's running around with two young boys. So when I think about somebody who is leaning in, I don't think about Sheryl Sandberg. I think about Katrina Ostra Marrero. So take a listen. I hope you will come away loving her as much as I do. So without further ado, again, I present Katrina Austria Marrero. Welcome to Wise and Wine. What are you drinking? Thank you. Thank you. I am drinking Prosecco, which is kind of my go-to, you know, bubbly drink for Bubbly girl. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I usually drink Prosecco. It's my go-to. Um, and then depending on the night or the day, um, I'll do an old fashioned. But tonight calls oh. for Prosecco. So I'm super excited to catch up with you. It's been so long. I know. I do. I do like an old fashioned. So I'm very impressed that that's your drink of choice. My jam. All right. So can you tell me about your career path and how it's been influenced by your family, your culture, all that good stuff? I think before I dive into that, I think to understand anything regarding my career, I think it helps to understand my identity mm-hmm. uh, as well as my my values of of social equity um, and and belonging because both of those are like the thread that connects all my experiences um, and my family, my culture play a, a huge a huge role in that. So I'm the daughter and granddaughter of immigrants uh, from the Philippines who saw her parents and grandparents struggling to thrive in, in, in a new country. Um, so for some context, um, my grandparents moved basically during the civil rights era, mm. uh, like 1960s. And then my uh, mother immigrated when she married my dad. Um, and it was, also happened to be during a time where Ferdinand Marcos was in power in the Philippines and he was a dictator. And so martial law and everything, it was, um, it was just, it was bananas to say the mm. least, but um they're, you know, both of them, uh, parents and grandparents, they were figuring out how to like survive and thrive uh, in a new country. So I think with seeing that in my youth, I'm constantly grappling with this question of 
how do I get people from marginalized communities to live choiceful lives? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I became a firm believer that a college or postgraduate education was the vehicle to, to getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so rewind to 17 year old me. Um, I was initially set on going to USC in LA. Uh, but I chose to send Santa Clara University in the Bay Area because the idea of a Jesuit education mm. uh, with this emphasis in their mission on social justice impelling action, coupled with being in this like innovative ecosystem, that's the Silicon Valley, right? So like Santa Clara University being the heart of Silicon Valley, that made for a dynamic learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um so that like, to me, that made sense. So like explore how do I find the answer to this question physically where I'm at. Um, and eventually I became the first person in my nuclear family mm-hmm. to graduate from, from college in the U.S. And I, you know, since I've graduated, um, gosh, I've spent the better part of the decade, uh, decade and a half, uh, building bridges uh, between people and opportunities working with first-generation low-income students as their, I worked as their teacher. Uh, When I met you, I was a college counselor. And then shortly after that, I became a high school administrator and then worked in uh, undergraduate admissions with the diversity outreach cohort at Stanford. Um, Before this job, I was consulting with school districts and nonprofits on anything regarding college and career equity. and with my job now at Management Leadership for Tomorrow, um, I am doing uh, more equity work on the early career development side, specifically supporting employers on implementing DNI strategies so they can mm-hmm. sustain that equity in, in their workplace. Was higher education always a plan for you? It was always a plan. Yeah, because when you when you have parents and grandparents that made sacrifices by moving to a new country, mm-hmm. like you, you, you have to do what you can to maximize that opportunity, right? Um, but as a family, like we didn't have a clue what that looked like because no one in my family achieved this in the States before. So like my parents always thought like I would become a lawyer because apparently I was a strong little child that like <laughs> argued a lot, but like who wasn't a strong little child, right? Like who wasn't that? Obviously that wasn't the case. I started off as a paralegal in my career and ventured into education. Um, my mom my mom grew up one of six siblings. Her two older sisters were doctors, and then they eventually married doctors. Um, my maternal grandfather was a was a judge. Uh, so based on what she was exposed to, my mother, the only the only career options that I had based on what she's seen was to become a doctor or a lawyer because of the notoriety that comes with the title and exactly. also the income stability. And when you have someone that's fleeing, a martial law regime in a third world country, like income stability was, was everything. So mm. I, I get where she was coming with that. Um, I, I tried to marry my passion for wanting to like help others with becoming a lawyer, but I quickly learned, uh, working as an immigration paralegal, um, as a young adult in her early twenties, that was not, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't what I thought it would be. And I felt my sphere of influence was limited to like a cubicle filling out like mm. like work work visas and travel documents. Um, and that was, I think at that point was when I was like, hey, like, let me try being an educator because you're reaching people 
a lot younger, a lot sooner, mm-hmm. and there's more ability to impact there versus working with someone on a document when they're in their 20s or 30s. No, for sure. Yeah. And so you've seen a uh, a lot of education and in terms of the different ways to insert and impact the educational system. So what have you seen that works well and what needs to be improved in education to better serve students? Funding and funding, <laughs> funding, funding, Money. funding, and then period. Yeah, funding because of, there's so much potential that it can unlock with funding, but then if you don't have it, it's also super, super debilitating. Um, so like funding is like overall like important. And then like, I think like a 1.A, like just below funding would be the uh, relationships piece mm. in your human capital. I think relationships and education are everything from what I've seen. And I've sat everywhere at that table, right? From being a teacher and administrator. And even now, like as a parent, like I see that. Um, I don't think it matters where you sit, you know, in the, in the education sphere. Um, but whether it's, you know, students with teachers or teachers with parents or teachers with administrators or development teams, right? With potential donors, like all of that stems on having solid relationships. And I think um, when it comes to like educating our youth, it it really does take a village. Like, I don't think anyone can operate in a, in a, in a vacuum mm-hmm. and, and having that relationship established, um, among, among all these different stakeholders. Um, I think that allows for that passion to help students that gets translated. And then with a the passion like that, with other like minded folks, I think like at that point, that's when you have action occur. Right. Yeah. And I think you and I have, have had conversations about the the DEI space and working with um, different types of students. And I think the challenge, because, you know, I met you through your husband and working in the STEM part of industry and knowing in the STEM field, yes, there's not equality in the educational. So you're getting some students who are in some of those advantage schools where, you know, their teacher might be a former engineer and that engineer yeah. knows other people. And that person brings people right. to class and they have access to all this stuff. And if Boy. you're in a, in a lower income disadvantaged neighborhood and your teacher doesn't have those resources, then you guys aren't the same kid as freshmen no. going to college. And so I no. think that was my challenge working in higher education for so long was just because stu- just because students got admitted, they weren't the same level. And luckily there's enough programs oh. out there to kind of help level that playing field, especially in the STEM field. And I just, it's just such a place where I'm like, oh, can we acknowledge that these inequities exist and not to blame anybody, but just to address them so that the kids that are coming in can start and have the best chance possible. So yeah, that was always my frustration. In education. I bet, I bet it was. Yeah, and I definitely, like, I think, I think it was at Sanford um, is where I realized, um, like, it wasn't enough to just get these kids into college or into a university, right? Selecting one at that. Like, it wasn't enough to be able to just do that. Like, at some point, like, where can you like start a career so that you can change like your whole life. You can change your, you can change your family's whole life. You can like impact your community differently. And I think that's what made me switch to where I am now was exactly what you just said. 
Well, you, my friend, were a student athlete in volleyball, taekwondo, and basketball. So how did your experiences as a student athlete yourself not only impact your education, but your career? Well, <laughs> right. Like I'm short, I'm five short three. Like why, like, why did my parents put me in volleyball and basketball? Like the prerequisite to like be good in both of those sports is high. When I think about my experience with sports in basketball, for example, I was always the shortest person on the court. Mm -hmm. I was short, but I was fast. So when we, uh, when my basketball team played like taller teams, we would just outrun them. Mm. and we would just full court press every time and they couldn't keep up with us after that and that's how we got through our season that's how we got through playoffs we even made it to a couple of state championships go Irish super so I think we we determined what our strengths were and we used that to uh to our benefit yeah um and then I think for yeah I think for volleyball um again still short I just had to work on developing instincts and anticipating where the hit was going, where the hit was going to land. So I think that taught me to be more intuitive, but also like it encouraged me to study other people, specifically mm -hmm. my opponents. Like, hey, like this hitter usually hits right here. Like, how should I position myself? So I learned a lot. Like, even though I don't play anymore, like there's definitely some strengths that I've developed, uh, playing sports that I still use, um, that I still use even today. Yeah. And I, I love that because, you know, I was a kid that had a lot of stuff going on in my home life. And so sports was my escape. So I was a swim, like, right? three, yeah. Swim. So I was a three season athlete. I did soccer swim nice. just to get me out of the house. And so, so for me personally, it was like an escape, but also then it teaches you kind of those hey, skills on how you interact with other people. It teaches you how to balance your time and time management because you've got practice and then you've got to do homework yeah. and you've got school and all that stuff. You so, so many things. Yeah, I absolutely, do. I don't think I would have gone to college had I not been in sports. So Been an athlete, yeah. for sure. Do you miss it? Um, I mean, I, I kind of look at the students now and I see how I'm going to, for lack of a better word, sophisticated they are, where they understand that this could potentially be a career, or at least yeah. that it's something that can take them to college. And so I think there's a seriousness about their sports that I just didn't have because, you know, we didn't have, I'm older than you, we didn't have social media and you know, especially with women's sports, they weren't paying attention to the women's soccer team yeah. <laughs> at my school, the women's swim team at my school. So but yeah, so I look at some of these kids today and I'm just like, how do you balance all of this stuff, especially if they're good, especially if they've been in, you know, camps and things since they were three. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you know, I think, I think, yeah, because I think um, Tiger Woods, I'm Tiger Woods' age. So he played against our high school. You look so much better than Tiger Woods. <laughs> I mean, why? <laughs> I haven't been through some of the stuff he's been through, but I think about like a Tiger Woods and that somebody started that early and they were so focused on the athlete part that I think they forgot necessarily about the student part. Who they even are. Though, even though he went to Stanford, yeah. like they forgot about the student part of him, yeah. which is why I think he went so nutty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is e that is equally important. We um, Dominic has a soccer coach right now who was like what she's such a gem she's super awesome she's wrapping up her senior year of soccer in college mm -hmm. uh, and she visited us last week because she was home for the holidays and she was like yeah like 
it's weird not being able to play anymore. And I've been playing for years and now what do I do? Um, and so I think like, I think there's definitely opportunity there for young folks to mm -hmm. get more, um, I don't know if it's coaching, maybe it is, but like, at least like have a thought partner on perspective and how to think about things. Because a lot of these athletes were conditioned to do a thing for so long. that once you take it away, like everything else to your point is like, has to be like relearned again. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. you are the co-founder of True Student Athletes, which provides academic and career guidance for students grades six through 12, as well as postgraduate. So what is the need that you saw that needed to be filled when you launched the business and how does your team service those needs? So True Student Athletes is interesting. Um, it's evolved a lot uh, in the past, in the past decade. Um, so I'm not sure if you know this, but David uh, came up with this idea back in uh, I think 2011, 2012. So definitely like definitely a decade on creating a platform much like Yelp, like what we use Yelp for mm -hmm. to help student athletes and parents access resources in a more streamlined fashion. Because back then you just like had Google and it was like, okay, like if I'm looking for like physical therapy, is this specifically for athletes? Is this geriatric? Is this pediatric? We don't know. So wanting to like house all the resources on a platform so that they're easily found. Um, but I think what became challenging uh, at that time was trying to figure out how to launch, how to launch it um, in multiple geographic markets between like a Texas, Florida and California, which is where we were like hopping around at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a challenge. Uh, he put that aside. He went to business school. I worked on both sides of the desk as a college counselor and in college admissions. And then fast forward to a couple of years ago, um, you know, pa parents are still trying to figure out how to support their kids through school and sports. Uh, and it wasn't until like the earliest months of the pandemic, like in quarantine, because like, you know, <laughs> didn't have anything else to do. We were home. <laughs> we were like, hey, based on who we are today, like, can we still make this a thing with the experiences and with the passion that we have for students and for student athletes? And like, can we tie in our like knowledge for this? So in a way, like true student athletes was our, it is, um, it is our brain baby. It's his love and knowledge for sports and personal physical development for athletes coupled with my background in college counseling and early career strategy. We sort of resurrected this endeavor um, it's not like Yelp anymore. We kind of steered away from that, but we made it more of like offering like personalized counseling, coaching services in like academics, athletics, college admissions, um, anything regarding early career. Um, and we're we're in the process of trying uh, to facilitate our rebrand, especially especially in light of uh, name, image, and likeness, otherwise known as NIL. I was going to ask you about that, and I'm thinking about all of, you know, being a college athlete was, was, and I, not me, but watching the college athletes when I worked at the University of Texas at Austin. And it's one of those schools where the football team rules everything. And I'm looking at the, it is bananas team. now. And it I, is like, times sure it's now. worse now that they have bananas. the NILs. Oh no. But I would look at these students and, you know, they have their own residence halls and they have their own academic advisors like there's it's this weird microcosm with athletes where at least the college high level football where they're kind of given all of these resources but then 
I don't know if they're the right resources because they're resources that are there, but they're not necessarily to the advantage of the students. So when you're thinking about or when you're working with students that are coming to you from true student athletes, is that stuff that you've got to address now that NIL is there? We start thinking about them pursuing careers professionally, or even if they want to be in the Olympics, like all of that can be so overwhelming. So yeah, I can can see that there needs to be a holistic approach to supporting these students. So how do you kind of bridge all of these resources for them? Gosh. um, So I I think when it comes to true student athletes, um, I think we need to say who are target student is right or target like market what have you um so it's more for the student athlete that wants to play sports in college Mm. but they haven't necessarily been actively recruited so like not like a lebron james or like an alex morgan like we're looking at students who have like talent and desire to play at the next level they just Mm -hmm. for whatever reason haven't been on the radar with um some athletic departments and programs right um and and because we're not supporting the lebrons and alex morgans of the world like we always counsel students uh on what's next so like with the chances of making it to the professional level being extremely limited like what academic and career interests can we explore now and how can we use that to set them up for success like post-college so I think like there's that and then when it comes to when it comes to NIL I think about like brand and partnerships to pursue based on like who you are and what image you want to put out there like while still staying true to yourself um and I know that that like how you process that information is going to be super different from a student who is like getting recruiting offers since they were sophomores versus a senior like August still trying to figure out like where he's going to play. Like, I think that's, that's going to be super different. Okay. And with your passion for DEI, does that get implemented and integrated into true student athletes? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, I think when I think about like the work I do as a, as a D, as a DNI practitioner, I'm always trying to find ways to make it about that, student athlete's strength Mm. right rather than like conforming into what you think you need to be like what is it that you're good at and let's own that and let's make that a part of your narrative so that like when you get in front of people you get in front of recruiters people employers your authentic self shines through and like if it's a good fit you'll find yourself in in a space where you can shine and you can engage because you can be yourself. Awesome. I love that. So true student athletes is, is your business, but it's not your primary job. So what have you learned about creating a business that you wish you'd known from the start, particularly now that you've got to balance it with, with another career? I would kill to go back to my early twenties. Like I would just, (laughs) the things that I know now, right. Like I would kill to go back um as a teacher i was i was always hellbent on trying to make the best lesson plan the mm. perfect lesson plan the best classroom experience uh when in reality um the needle for the best shifts depending on who your audience is and what mm. the urgency is right so like this like perfectionism is it's something that took me a while 
to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to creating a business, um, you're not going to get everything right, right away. And I knew that like, um, and thankfully David is the way he is because otherwise like this thing would not have jumped off. Like <laughs> uh, we would be stuck like sitting ducks, like, Hey, we don't quite have this uh, process figured out, but I would say that was, yeah, that is the, that is the biggest thing is um, it just becomes a matter of like being able to fix and pivot. Uh, and this whole analogy of a building plane while you're flying it, that yes. could not be any more true. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> it is scary, it's so but scary. it's so true. No, but you're also managing a business with your partner your husband. So how is that? How do you manage that balance between we're, we're business people, but you also need to put the toilet seat down. I, <laughs> it's so funny. That is so funny. Cause I'm like constantly reminding our two preschoolers like, Hey, I'm noticing that the toilet seat is, <laughs> is up. Let's put it down. Uh, David's more of the, like, pick up your towels or I will lose my mind. Like get your towels <laughs> off my floor. Um, gosh, I don't know if we had that figured out. I think that's still like a work in progress for us. Like, I don't know if we struck the right balance between being husband and wife and between being business partners, but I think what has helped us like in balancing both is, um, is the, I think we just have this vision of what we want our life to look like and what we want to build and the legacy we want to leave behind are always huge on like, Hey, what impact do we want to make? Mm -hmm. Um, versus like, versus like, Hey, how much money do we want to make? Um, Mm -hmm. like we just, which is fine for like some people, but for us, we're like, no, like we want to like impact and change lives. How do we do that? And I feel like that passion, because we share that that's been a driver. Um, and then also just the communication piece. Um, like just being able to talk, like regardless of how tired or exhausted or busy you are, like still having that opportunity to communicate any and all the things I feel like has saved, um, saved us whenever we would struggle Hmm. either as like a husband or wife and as business partners. Yeah. Yeah. But those are one of the things that I call my partner Scuba Steve on here, but, um, (laughs) One of the things we were going to do when we decided to move internationally was like, oh, we should start a business, like something that we can do that will keep us kind of afloat while we're figuring out what we want to do with our lives. And so I think it was clear that like my strength was the customer service piece. Like I would be not the face of the business, but I'd be the person interacting with people and you're behind the scenes. He was great with numbers. He's great with like organization and that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, when it came time to do the business, we realized, oh, we didn't do enough research on this. Whoops. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I like that we clearly identified what our lanes were and and what our strengths were and were able to kind of, if we were ever going to do that again, that I think we've got a pretty clear path about these. This is what I can do. This is what I bring to it. This is what you do yes. and what you can bring yes, to it. Yes, there you go. Strengths, but yeah, <laughs> strength, like identifying strengths like that, that is everything. That so is what, is, what is your strength then? Gosh, uh, what is my strength? Um, like, I think like, on a, like, you know, like in a, in a husband and wife capacity, I am not a morning person and David is. 
I'm not like, I want to be a morning person so bad. I truly, truly do. And I just can't for the life of me. Right. Like if it's before 6am, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm just, I'm not. Uh, but David, David's like up and he's like, all right, let's do this. Doesn't drink coffee. He's just like ready to go. Boop, 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 boop. He's great. So like he helps get the kids ready in the morning for school. And I'm more of like an afternoon night owl. So like I'll do pickups and I put the kids down to sleep and yeah, it's great. It works out. So like, I feel like just understanding like what people are good at and how to deploy that, I think just builds positive situation for anybody, for anybody that's involved. Yeah. You know? So through your career, are you pretty clear at this point, kind of what your strengths are and what you bring to the table in a professional setting? How has that worked out for you up until now? Gosh, yeah, my strengths. I feel like I am constantly asking myself that. Uh, And I think it's hard for me to talk about strengths. Um, And this could be, you know, being raised by immigrants, right? It's like, don't worry about your strengths. Like, what are you weak at? Because people are going to poke at that Mm. and make you even weaker. So Mm. In my mind, I'm constantly thinking about like, hey, like, what am I weak at? What can I do so that I'm not as weak or like get better at it, right? Right. Uh, And then eventually like those end up becoming like something you're, you know, good at, maybe strengths, but like to say like, I have a strength or like a superpower even, um, I like, I have to like dig really deep with that stuff. Like, I know that I love, and thrive on relationships. Like I know that I love connecting people, mm-hmm. um, either like people with other people or people with opportunities. Like I do, I do know that. I know like depending on who you are, I can figure out how to communicate with you so that we can get things done, if that makes sense. Like being able to work with different kinds of people because I enjoy like getting to know about people. Mm-hmm. It's um I feel like that's always been top of mind, regardless of where I sat and what kind of job I had. It's always been about, always been about people. And that's so interesting to me because I feel like I look at you and David and you're like the Beyonce and uh, Jay-Z. What you're doing. You guys are just this power couple that just has it together and you're beautiful people and you're working really hard. Stop it. Stop it right now. Stop all things. That is so, no, stop it. That is so sweet. That's so nice of you to say. That means a lot coming from you because you have known us from like the earlier years of our of our careers and our marriage. So that means a lot. So thank you, but also stop it. Like (laughs) you're not. (laughs) But there's just something about both of you have a very like strong communication skill that I clearly don't have right now, but there's just something about you where I think people kind of migrate to you because you have, I'm not going to call it, you're like, you're, you're like a Barack Obama. Like you have a very, you don't have to talk loud. You don't have to to scream and shout and just to gesticulate. You're somebody that is clear and you know that whatever's going to come out of your mouth is going to be something that's impactful. It's going to come from a place of care. It's coming from a place of let's bring everybody together. So I'm so shocked that you're like, I don't know what my strength is because I like see that radiating off of you every time I meet, every time I hang out with you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks so much. 
Well, you have a new job and you talked about it a little bit up top, but let's talk about what your new career is and how that's different, kind of how you pivoted um, from where you were in education. Yeah. Um, God, how did I get to this point? Let me think. Okay. So um, I, when I got pregnant with my oldest, with Dominic, um, I was a, I was a high school administrator um, and I was more specifically managing the college counseling department, which was, that was my jam. Loved it. Like love getting to know students, love being able to help them like craft their narratives and write their essays. Um, I loved all of that. Uh, and I love the relationships I build with them. Um, but I think a couple of challenges that I've had in that role was one, um, my department also managed alumni. Um, so my part of my job and my counselor's jobs were to track and see how our alums were doing after they graduated from our high school. Like, how were they doing in college? Like, did they graduate from college? Mm-hmm. Uh, were they able to find jobs? And I, I think what I saw there was that there's still a discrepancy with the amount of effort that we put into preparing these kids to fit this mold of, of what it means to go to college, mm-hmm. that they're not like thriving and they're not doing well. Um, so part of me is like, like, hey, like, am I in the right space to like make an impact? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was leaning towards, you know what, probably, probably not. Um, so that coupled with, it was just one of the most hardest jobs I've ever had. Um, and like to, to add a little bit of color to the situation, um, when I went back to work, uh, Dominic was, um, God, he was in daycare as early as four months old. Mm-hmm. And I remember having to drop him off at 7.15 so I can get to the school before 7.30 a.m. Um, and then um, kids get dismissed at four. I left around five. I had to pick him up before six mm-hmm. and then I would take him home and feed him and then bathe him and then put him down to sleep. And then I would have work, work to do. And it was mm-hmm. just, it was a lot. Like this kid was in daycare um, for 11 hours before mm-hmm. he even turned one. And like, I, like in my mind, that wasn't the kind of life that I wanted. Right. Uh, like I was passionate about like helping my students but also like, I felt like becoming a parent, like I wasn't giving it my best and it just made it really challenging to do that. Yeah. Um, so when I got pregnant with Ari, I was like, well, well, damn, like this isn't going to work <laughs> out because I'm going to have two kids and this is going to be bananas. So I, I, I took a step back, uh, worked in admissions at Stanford to uh, just, I think, one, get a better understanding of the cycle and see like, truly, like, how does this work, right? Like, how do we like identify which students we select and which students that we don't? Uh, And that was a great learning experience for me. I think that from that experience, we saw, we have so many students that stress themselves out trying to like get a 4.0 and get all fives on their APs and they still don't get into these schools and they have all these like mental health issues and I'm like, there's a, there's a problem with this. Like, I think we need to change the conversation about how, not just like, how do we get kids to be college ready, 
But how do we get colleges to be student ready? Because this concept of college, like that has changed in the kinds of students that are going to college now versus like in the 70s and 80s, like they're so different, right? Yeah. So if we want to be more inclusive of the of the kind of folks that we have in our communities, like how do we how do we facilitate college so that like these folks can thrive? Um, so after like after working in Sanford admissions, um, I uh, reconnected with um, super cool chick. Her name is Chantel George. I met her while I was a high school administrator. Uh, and we met because we coincidentally, like unbeknownst to both of us, we submitted an RFP for this project with Chicago Public Schools. Um, and the guy facilitating it was like, hey, like we like you and we like her. Can y'all like connect? And I'm like, I think I know who you're talking about. And of course it was Chantel. So we hit it off like, like time has not passed between us. And ever since then, I've been rocking with her. We would do projects with... Um, with nonprofits, with uh, colleges and universities on um, on uh, implementing um, culture and engagement initiatives with both the faculty and, and students and getting faculty to think about like, hey, like based on the students that we have, right? Like how do we, how do we, um, how do we change up our systems so that we can accommodate them? You're not like lessening standards by any means, but then also like, work we were doing was during the pandemic, like the kinds of students that you're going to have are going to be different, right? So to think like your students are going to be like a certain mold is unrealistic. And so if you want to stay in business, if you want to keep enrollment up, like think about like who your students are and work with them. Um, and that like consulting with her was super awesome. And then this opportunity came up with management leadership for tomorrow where, um, management leadership for tomorrow, uh, they predominantly focus on Black, Latinx, Hispanic, um, Native American students on navigating the early career stages of their lives and mm. also like MBA prep. Um, the vertical that I'm under is uh, racial equity at work. And so we are a team that partners with employers um, so that um, they get support with uh, their DNI strategies. And it's the same concept where like, instead of being work ready, how are employers new talent ready for the kind of talent that we have now? Yeah. No, I feel I like I just talked a whole lot. No, this no, it's a lot. And I, I yeah. do have a lot of questions from what you said, but I think that that's a great mission. Cause I think that's what we're finding in the DEI space, especially with now that everything's exploded, like it didn't exist before George Floyd, but for some reason, DEI right? like, jumped off been, now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's, no, dude, this has been a thing. Yeah, this has been, been a thing. It's been a thing for a minute, people, but whatever. Um, that the employers are going out now and hiring diverse candidates, but they're not adapting to the diverse candidates it's like all right we and want their to, experiences yeah we just want to bring them in the door bring, all right we're done we brought them in the door it's like no no you still have them on a team that doesn't look anything like them and you're still not acknowledging them as you know individuals and let's think about some of the things that your team members are going to deal with in the workplace especially from an entry-level perspective where are they going to have the right 
clothes or whatever. Like there's so many things that so many things people take for granted that people just know going into work. And I think about where I was in my first job. I didn't know anything. And I saw right. a picture of myself the other day. I was like, what was I wearing to work? <laughs> oh my God. What were you wearing? I was, oh, please tell me. Please tell was, me what you were wearing. The, oh, I started my first job in 2000. So it was the age of like big chunky boots and like I, leggings which have now Flares. come back yeah and like flower through yeah it was just not a thing but I thought it was super cute but I didn't know like I didn't know about comfy cat you know business casual that wasn't anything that I'd ever had to interact with before and so even terms like business casual what does that mean now now students can google that but you know learning about hey when you go into the office my what I thought I was supposed to do was just sit in my decks and work real hard I didn't realize no no you have to get up and interact with your coworkers, and that's part of the job too and if employers are seeing that in their entry-level hires are they making that effort to kind of implement integrate those those people onto their teams so no I think your, your work is huge your work is really really huge Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Week four. And yeah, I like it so far. Like super, um, you know, I feel like there's always like a learning curve, right. And like getting to understand all the things and completely new ecosystem, but um, it's, it's um, I think it's super important that like I am mission aligned with MLT. That's been super helpful and the people are awesome. So very grateful to be where I'm at. Perfect. So if you had yeah. to kind of synthesize, I think your point was well-spoken in terms of, and that was my frustration too, when I worked in higher education was, you know, we're doing all of this work to get the students into the school, but is the school ready for the students? You know, are they yeah. ready for, you know, yes, they, there's clubs and organizations, but let's look at the student holistically with, um, you know, student services, academic services, everything that living in the residence hall, like all of that stuff that goes into a student. And, and did you find maybe that's where you were losing students and even you as potentially like not first generation in your family, but first generation for your family that was in the States. Yeah. Were you prepared for all of that? Like, how did you manage college without having a ton of information about what that was going to be like I know it's hard right because like you show up no one tells you that connections and relationships are important that networking is a thing and social capital I feel like if I was going to do college all over again um if I knew that like then I feel like my life would be like completely different um but it's always been about like hey like you know again like product of immigrants like put your head down work super hard but it's like, no one operates like that, like in a vacuum anymore. Like when you think about the kinds of jobs that you get now, even right. Like it's all relationships, mm-hmm. it's all relationships. Um, I would say like, that was, um, like, I would say that's like the, the most important thing when I think about coaching and counseling, uh, young adults, like navigating college, like that is everything, uh, that and, and, and having mentors for sure. Like no one told me to get a mentor, right? <laughs> but like, if you had someone who's gone through it before that can kind of coach you like in real time, like that's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and, yeah. and I agree. I think my, my parents were in the same place where my mom was a nurse and my dad was in 
vocational. So although they went to school, they went to very specialized schools. They weren't going to, you know, the four-year university that had all the other pieces to it. And mentors were kind of built into their careers. So I, the only thing I was told to do was not get pregnant and get good grades. <laughs> there was the only thing Same. I was told. Same. Well, like, don't you dare get pregnant without graduating from college first, right? Yeah. No, that was, wow, that was intense. Yeah. Uh, so, but it makes sense now, you know, and back when I was in my recruiting, my post- higher education life when I was doing recruiting and I would look at the kind of students that would apply for roles and see the managers were like, oh, well, this student has a 4.0 and they've gotten six internships under their belt. It's like, well, these other students, just because they don't have internships doesn't mean they're not qualified. Maybe they had to work over the summer. We don't know what their personal situation was that they couldn't afford potentially to make ten dollars an hour in san francisco as an intern (laughs) yeah that's it that's funny you say that because i just thought about thought about working at stanford in admissions right especially with the diversity outreach cohort because there's always been pushback on like why even have a diversity outreach cohort in admissions like why should we lower standards and Mm. i'm like nobody said anything about lowering standards Mm -hmm. like we're looking for um like as like admissions officers and uh gosh uh, his name is escaping me right now but he was the um he was basically like the senior associate or the senior director of the uh, diversity outreach cohort he's at uc berkeley now and he's super awesome but he said it best he said that as admissions officers, we're not looking for perfection. Hmm. We're looking for excellence. And excellence within the context of your background. So like for a student that we were talking about high schools, like, hey, like you have a student that goes to like a prep school and they have all these resources afforded to them. Mm-hmm. Did they make the most out, out of that versus a student where, you know, they maybe offer four or five APs, but this student took all of those classes maxed out and takes like dual credit courses at a community college because they don't offer that at their high school. I think there's a huge difference. And so I think what's interesting about my experience there is when we think about like talent, it's, like, how did you maximize all these opportunities that were afforded to you? Mm-hmm. And are you crushing it? And I feel like that's super different when you ha- when like when you have the privilege and you have these opportunities and you're still mediocre, like <laughs> they're not even on the same. They're not on the same playing field. They're just not. Right. I like that. When you you have all these advantages and you're still mediocre. Yeah. And it happens a stinking lot that that was the Whoops. case. So yeah. many times. All right. So I want to be sensitive to your time and know that you have two beautiful boys to take care of. So my final question for you is if you could look Thanks. 10 years into the future, what would you like to see in order to think, yeah, I made it or yeah, we did what we set to do? Gosh, um, I don't, I don't know how to answer that just within the context of my professional life um, because my personal life is just as important, right? And I, like throughout my entire career, especially in education, everyone talks about like work-life balance. And I don't know 
don't know if that's a thing. I mean, maybe it is. And if like, you know, someone please like shoot them um, like my number so I can connect with them and, 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 and pry. But like, I think there needs to be like a conversation between like work-life balance and like work-life integration. And I, I want to say like reaching that work-life integration would count like as a successful milestone for me. Mm. So like, how do I make my professional life and my business work for me so that it's in sync with my personal life? And like, how do I find opportunities for my family to be involved if they want to? And how do we, like as a mother, right? Um, how do I find a way to expose my two preschool boys what pursuit of passion looks like? Mm. Like, how do I show that to them as a, as a woman? And like, and I hope they find theirs, but, but also like, I want to be able to model what that looks like. Like find yourself a partner who can do this and who you can build with too. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that to me would be like a successful milestone. I, I don't know if it's necessarily like, like answering the, the professional piece of it, but think about like maybe being considered a subject matter expert and being able to speak at events at conferences mm -hmm. but also like i'm not a, i'm oh how do i say this um i like to i would rather be a choreographer than be a dancer in a mm -hmm. show like i'd rather be behind the scenes so being able to see a community of like my former students or student athletes and careers where they are thriving and they're changing their communities and families like that is what's up and that is what i would consider like hey like the work we're doing is successful and therefore like i can consider myself that i lied i have one more question for you that i did not prep you do on. you so, yes so, so thinking we're talking about your parents and your immigrant parents and so when they look at you now i'm sure they had visions of what you were going to be as a kid and they see where you are now number one do they even understand what you're doing because it's 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 a niche field <laughs> that you're in and b are they proud of you i think if we talked about the whole being a high school administrator thing and working at like a prestigious school like Stanford. Like mm -hmm. I would, like, I think they would say, yeah, she's successful. She's successful. Um, I think that's a conversation we would have to revisit. Like when, when it comes to, they know I have a new job and they're like, oh yeah, she partners with employers on like strategies for this other company. I don't think they truly, I don't think they truly know. Um, I think what matters is as long as I'm, as long as I'm like healthy and happy, I think that's all that matters. Uh, and being able to make decisions for myself and being able to like raise my family in a way that's my, my family. I mean, like my sons, like raise them in a way where they're like they're contributing to their communities too and they're treating people with respect and they're nice like I think that is just as important if not more than like having a prestigious title okay. or job I hope they're proud of me I truly hope I, they do. I don't know them but I'm pretty sure they are <laughs> so. we'll see so thank you, Katrina, for your time. Is there any 
that um, my four listeners can find you after listening to you talk? Oh my gosh. Yay. Um, I would love that. Hit me up on LinkedIn, Katrina, like the hurricane, Austria, <laughs> like the country, Marrero rhymes with sombrero, Amazon, Michigan, A-R-R-E-R-O. Hit me up there. I'll be so excited. <laughs> I feel like you've had to say that before. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the wise and wine podcast. Don't forget episodes come out every Tuesday, wherever you find podcasts. Remember to rate, subscribe and review You can also find information about my guests on my Instagram page at Wise and Wine Podcast or send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at wiseandwine at gmail.com. So I hope that our time today helps you pass the time on your commute, pass the time on the treadmill, or pass the time while you're working on those TPS reports. And hopefully you left this day a little wiser. Have a great day. Bye-bye.